This is a Federal News Network podcast. A nonprofit think tank known as the Institute for Critical Infrastructure Technology, you know ICIT, assembled the thinking of more than 50 thinkers in both cybersecurity and infrastructure. The result is a book intended to inform the thinking of both government officials and operators with responsibility for critical infrastructure. Here in studio with how it all came together, the Institute's executive director, Joyce Hunter. Joyce, good to have you with us. Nice to be here, Tom. Long time no see. Yes. uh, Well, too long. Let's put it that way. And uh, this is a pretty heavy tome. I would not call this beach reading. Tell us the purpose behind this book, and then we'll get to some of how it got put together. Well, we thought back in, I guess it was 2020, right after the pandemic started. So what are we going to do in order to expand the knowledge of ICIT in the workplace? Because we weren't getting together anymore. We weren't having these executive roundtables and the breakfasts and the, you know those kinds of things. So I had worked on a book when I was still in the administration as the deputy CIO for the Department of Agriculture. And we put together the same kind of book with American University. And that was produced by Routledge, who is also the owners of Taylor & Francis, the publishers of this particular book. So I brought the idea to Parm Eftikari, who is the CEO and the board chair for ICIT. And I said, why don't we do the same thing? And so he agreed and thought it was a good idea. And off we went to the races. We decided to start first with our fellows who are, if you want to call them, there are advisors, people who come from some of the top cybersecurity organizations and academic organizations in the United States. So we decided to pull together a few of them. They gave us some recommendations, and then we started scouring the trade publications to see who were the thought leaders in this area. Yeah, so this is really the authors of the various chapters are a who's who in cyber and critical infrastructure. Yes, that is correct. And is it only about cybersecurity of the infrastructure, or does it also get into physical security? It actually gets into the crossroads of cybersecurity, national security, and critical infrastructure. So does that mean... Anything that has to do with security, including physical, yes. Because just recently we saw someone firing gunshots at a plant, I think, in, in North, North Carolina. North Carolina. Charlotte, yes. And nobody ever dreamed that's a way to bring down parts of the grid, but that's what happened. That's exactly what happened. And so we're looking at everything in the infrastructure, everything within the environment, the entire ecosystem. Right. And in a case like that, it's probably cyber clues that will lead to the perpetrators. That's right. And, you know, we find behavioral analytics is getting to be more prevalent in looking at behaviors of certain kinds of people so that you can make some kind of predictions. Sure. And this book, it says a guide to the 21 through 25 administration. As you mentioned, it was conceived before we knew who that administration would be. That's right. That's right. So it's the 46th presidency, I guess we're up to now. Yes. (laughs) I sometimes lose count. But it's not only aimed at administration and federal officials, but really also at the operators and would you say the state and local level people that All stakeholders. All stakeholders have anything to do or have an interest in cybersecurity, national security, or critical infrastructure. 
And would you say that this book doesn't simply do what a lot of publications do, and that is to use the word of the late, great Alan Paller of the Sands Institute, admire the problem? That's right. This book gives them some practical, not instructions, but suggestions, things that practitioners have used, have seen, have done, like they've been there, done that. So these people who have contributed to this book have been there, done that, and these are their recommendations in order to secure the nation's infrastructure. We're speaking with Joyce Hunter. She's executive director of the Institute for Critical Infrastructure Technology. And this gets into some real deep detail. I mean, there's chapters about networks, segmentation, in the case of that type of infrastructure, Mm -hmm. designed to control blast radius. I mean, I looked through this and it's very, very detailed. What kind of review process did this all have to go through? Oh, my goodness. (laughs) I was only a chapter contributor before to the other book that I did with American University. I did not know what it took to put something like this together, including the review process. So we had a editor that edited the book, and it was painstaking, needless to say, for the book to be edited. It took a year and a half for it to go through the review process. We had some fellows review it. We had Suzette Kent review it. So we've had several people in the industry, current and former, public, private, to review the book before it actually came out. Yeah, luckily cybersecurity is one of those things left that's nonpartisan. That's right. That's absolutely right, and we're so glad of that. Now, in the time that you were preparing this book, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency sort of came of age, you might say, and is now richly funded. It can't add people fast enough, and it has issued a lot of guidance and binding operational directives and so forth. Do you feel that this book coming out as it did, it's dated the first of this year, 2023 publication date, can you still have influence at this point? I think we can uh, because we did constant reviews as we were going through. And as things changed, we had to go back to the authors, the poor authors. We had to go back to the authors and say, can you rewrite this so that it's more current? Uh, And so that had to happen through the review process, as well as we are hoping, we are really keeping our fingers, toes, and eyes crossed, that this can be viewed as an instructional guide for staffers in Congress so that they can actually use this and we can actually go in and provide some training and guidance on the critical infrastructures as they change, as they morph. And we plan on doing another one for the next election. Well, my question is, is it also available as an online resource? Because you would seem to be able then to update it as needed and then every so often sort of Hit the print button, so to speak. Yeah, it is. Of course, we've got to get through the uh, Taylor and Francis there, the publisher. So if we make any changes to the book, we have to go back to them, which can take a little while. Right, but that's the general plan is yes, to, that to is the keep plan. it going yes. forever. Yes. And what's the reaction been so far? It's been excellent. People absolutely love it. They think that it's a long time coming. They wish somebody had done it before. I'm glad that we're the first ones to actually do something like this, as comprehensive like this, with chasing around 50 different cats like this. But you have had good administrative. Absolutely, I mean, yes. People like at CISA have said, yeah, not everybody, pretty good job. Everybody from CISA to former Congressman Langevin to you know a lot of people in the industry, they really like the book. And that's a good point you bring up with Langevin, who, of course, has left Congress and left a big hole in the cybersecurity expertise of Congress, mm-hmm. not just Jim himself, but also the staff. Yes. And so there's always a need to 
get the newcomers or the people freshly in the industry, regardless of the role, up to speed. And that's what we plan on doing with this book. We've got clearance saying that this book can be provided as a textbook for federal government employees. So they could get the book, we could give them the book, and there's no problem with the gift regulation. Yeah, my question was, you do charge for the book. I just saw some academic tome that I would like to have in another domain of life, which I won't (laughs) mention here, a three-volume set that just came out, 10 years of work by a team led at Harvard. I thought, good, I'm going to buy this one. But at $645 for the three volumes, I said, well, maybe I'll look at it at the library. (laughs) This is less than $645. Yes. Oh, much, much, much less. It's around $100, more or less. And if you get it before March 31st, you get a 20% discount. All right. Well, I recommend it. Joyce Hunter is executive director of the Institute for Critical Infrastructure Technology. Thanks so much. Thank you, Tom. And we'll post this interview along with a link to more information at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive wherever you get your podcasts. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. Sean Ferguson, Senior Vice President of Government Relations and Chief of Staff to the Office of the Chairman at the Special Olympics, joins host Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, to discuss the importance of leadership, inclusion, and community building. To learn more about how you can get involved with the Special Olympics in your community, visit specialolympics.org slash get dash involved. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. What are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned working with that community? Oh, uh, yeah, almost, uh, Shane, it's almost immeasurable. The things I've learned since I've been with Special Olympics. I um, One of the things that drew me to Special Olympics uh, when I made the move over from, from the NFL uh, was that my mother, my grandmother, my aunt all took care of, of people with intellectual disabilities and, and, and physical disabilities as well. So all of my life, I was uh, interacting and around um, usually usually young people, but also adults with disabilities. And so I, I knew that I knew that work a bit. You know, they they basically were in d- direct care. And, and I will say and on a obviously we'll say about my my family, my mother, my aunt, my grandmother, they're saints. Uh, but uh, the, the men and women that do take care of people with uh, pr- profound disabilities are, are really, um, you know, we, we can't do enough to salute them. Um, they're they're really heroes, and um, so I was I was drawn when I I and I just saw that you know Special Olympics was looking for someone, and I thought well you know I'll take a look at it and see, see you know throw uh, send in my information, and lo and behold I I, I get hired, and um, I learn uh, every day almost something from especially from our athletes. Uh, we're blessed to have a number of athletes that work here in our office in Washington D.C. And, you know, uh, Terrell, who, who works in, in our mailroom, who comes by with packages and deliveries, uh, if you're having a day that's, you know, getting away from you and you, you <laughs> coffee hasn't kicked in, but Terrell comes by, always happy, always enthused, uh, has, a, has a good story, like, it can just turn a day around for you. And, and, and you think of, I, I, you know, so often when you'll walk away, I'll be like, you know, whatever was bothering me or whatever is you know, stressing me out and come on, you know, like look at, look at Terrell, like he, he faces everything with optimism. And, and, and I've seen that also in our going to competitions in throughout the United States and globally, 
you see people who have had everything stacked against them. You know, their parents, when they were born, were often told this is a tragedy and you should, you should, you know, send your, this child away. Don't, don't, you know, and, and kind of forget about them, Get, turn them over to the state or, or wherever. And, and, you know, that, you know, just kind of watch, watch your hands a bit. Um, and, and, and in, in these cases, the parents didn't do that, thankfully. Um, and, but they've still faced enormous challenges, you know, and, but you see them out competing on the basketball courts or the football fields or swimming and, uh, and, and, you know, besting their times from, from their last competition. And they're so committed and just keep fighting through all the obstacles that they've had in front of them that are not just on the sports field, but also in growing up and finding education and finding groups to be part of and trying to find jobs. And, and, and I've seen so much perseverance and grit uh, from the athletes of Special Olympics that I, I, Tim Triver, my boss, the chairman, uh, says all the time, and I couldn't agree with him more, uh, we get more than we give uh, working with Special Olympics. It, you know, we, and thank you for your very kind words about the work I do and we do, but but we're the lucky ones. We, those of us that work here are the lucky ones because I, I said to someone the other day, you know, the things that I've been able to see and experience with athletes, you just don't get to do that anywhere. That, that you know, it's a, and it's so unique and it's so uh, joyful. And, and uh, I mean, we work hard and, you know, we, we're up against, you know, the things that nonprofits are up against and, you know, the, you know, the issues of the day, but uh, man, you see it, it and, and, and the inclusion and the, at Special Olympics, no one's excluded. You know, no, right. no one's excluded. Yeah. Everyone is equal at Special Olympics. It, and, you know, in a country that's quite divided on so many lines, politically and uh, socially, uh, economically, race and uh, sexual orientation and whatnot. But you go to Special Olympics and everyone's involved. Everyone's welcome. Everyone's equal. And I've learned that it's a model for our country and for our world. Uh, I, I just think that that if if people were involved in Special Olympics in experience the power of Special Olympics for themselves, I, I, I can't imagine that one help our country and help our world um, to experience that true inclusion and acceptance of difference. How, how do we get, how can listeners get involved in Special Olympics? Ways to get involved? Uh, tons of ways. So uh, volunteers, obviously, coaches, officials, uh, and, and the thing that, that, that uh, Tim Shriver has done uh, and really pushed in the years that he's been chairman is the unified sports model that, that I mentioned earlier, um, where people and, and it doesn't have to be. Uh, it's not just school age. It's it's, uh, you know, we say nine to ninety nine or uh, year old uh, folks uh, that play on teams, uh, bowl together, golf together, play soccer, basketball together. Uh, people with and without intellectual disabilities competing on teams together. Um, and that is, I, I think, when you when you go back to the founding uh, of our organization, what Mrs. Tri- Mrs. Shriver was trying to do uh, was to, to uh, create inclusion opportunities for people with intellectual disabilities. And you see it at these unified sports events where people with and without are playing together. We still have traditional uh, teams where it's all people with intellectual disabilities competing with other uh, teams, all intellectual disabilities. But this model of inclusive sports and inclusive leadership programs and whatnot, I think is truly 
revolutionizing and changing the way people see uh, others with intellectual disabilities. That's just like, I mean, that's what we that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to bring people together and bridge difference and, and, and celebrate differences. And that our athletes, man, are some of the grittiest people that you will meet. And, and, uh, and there's a lot to learn from our athletes and playing sports with them and interacting is, is how you'll learn it. Check us out, uh, you know, uh, specialolympics.org on, on our website, uh, that will link you to your local program. You can follow through the, the clicks of how to get involved and where, what's closest to you. You'll enjoy it. I can promise you that. Well, thank you very much, Sean. And, and to everybody listening, I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, and we'll, uh, Talk to you next time on the Lessons in Leadership podcast.